It's Buku One here. And one thing I know, every good podcast deserves its own theme song. Oh, for sure. And this one most definitely deserves its own theme song. We changing the game on the name, put respect. Uncle Dad talks, yeah, live and direct. What did you expect from the two fly guys? One love Kevin Smith, one or more is Golden Eye. Mike's the level-headed, baby Gabe edits. Uncle Dad gets nervous all the time, but to his credit, he's clever. Spring stuff on Mike on a daily. Can mangle up a name amazingly. The range of events and topics makes it hard to stop listening So why even attempt it? From bare knuckle fighting to Grammy songwriting To Burning Man flames To firefighter video games And many, many more than I could put in a verse Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse And many, many more than I could put in one verse Just subscribe, tune in to Uncle Dad's Multiverse Yes You heard it first here Show did Tion Buku 1 aka Mr. Generous Live and direct Right, everybody, Uncle Dad here. Uncle Dad with Just Mike. Mike, say hello. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is pretty exciting. Uh, this has been something I've been trying to make happen for a while. Uh, but to have people from one of my favorite brands of all time in gaming, uh, Atari. How exciting is that for you, Mike? You grew up with that. I mean, it's it's the brand, right? The brand. I like that. It is the brand. Yeah, I would say it's the brand that has always had the best ideas to move gaming forward and also just create gaming what it is now right so we are with ethan stearns and david lowey okay i got, <laughs> got it see i got it. i get nervous about that uh let's just uh learn about who you are real first before we dive into what we're talking about uh ethan we'll start with you yeah so i'm ethan stearns and uh, i run games publishing for atari so i oversee all of the games production uh marketing and trying to get all our games out into the market awesome awesome and what about you david um, I run uh, our communications PR, but I also uh, work very closely with, with Ethan on distribution, so where our games show up in, in digital storefronts and, and physical. Awesome. So you guys are the dynamic duo right here. Yeah, actually, in a lot of ways, we're kind of a yin and yang. Like Sometimes we have to get on calls and figure out, like, are you doing this, or do we do this together, or whatever. So yeah, the two of us kind of oversee all of games operations for Atari right now. Awesome. Now, who's the yin and who's the yang? It depends on the day. Who had who, who had coffee in the morning that day? I got gotcha. you. He's he's on the west coast and I'm on the east coast, so I've got this advantage where he's getting on the phone at nine in the morning and I'm getting on the phone. I mean, at six, right? Six and I'm in on, the morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm at nine, and it's yeah. So it's an unfair. Like every day, I've got a head start where I'm a little more awake. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about kind of why we're here. Uh, so you know, I'll let you guys kind of announce this game, and even though it's already been announced, uh, it's super exciting, right, to see this come back. So uh, we'll go with you, Ethan. Let's talk about what this game is. Yeah, so uh, today we're showcasing a Pixel Rip 1978 from this developer, Arvory, out of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, they have been working on this franchise for a number of years now. Actually, before I worked at Atari, I was working in VR stuff at another company. They were some of the first people in the space really innovating and bringing like fun, like immersive stuff into VR. Um, and their their content's always built around nostalgia, right? The nostalgia for certain eras of, um, of video games. And so um, about a year ago, they 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 
you know, contacted Atari and started talking to us about like what if they did they they looked back on the nostalgia of the Atari era. And of course, because we were starting up a sort of a new era of of Atari and the games that we're making right now, it was kind of a perfect fit. And so um, yeah, we're really excited to be finally. We've been working on it for a while, and uh, they've been working on it for a while, and uh, so we're really excited about about uh, showcasing it finally. Awesome. What is it about? Because this is kind of a theme we've we've noticed even yesterday at, over at GDC. Is uh, what is it about the nostalgia in games that we love so much? Like that that look. What, what do you? What's your perception of it from yeah. from the inside? I mean, I think it's culture, really. I mean, like when I joined Atari, I really think. I mean, people talk about Atari as like a game brand, and I think more and more like Atari is a cultural brand. It's like almost—I mean, I hate—I don't like to say lifestyle brand. That kind of not maybe not the right way, but to put it. But I think that uh, so many of us grew up on different video game franchises, different video game equipment, different different stuff that we identify as part of like who we are as people now. And I think, especially when you come to conventions like this and we're amongst all our people, you know, there's a real connective tissue for this nostalgia that we all grew up with, that we all carry, that was all part of our lives. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that I think the nostalgia is kind of part of culture of who we are and why we, you know, love tapping into it and why we, as Atari, have such a, you know, uh, a, an incredible community of people who are always interacting with us on Twitter or different places where they're like, we should make this game, we want to make that game, what's going on with this? Because they love Atari, they love those games. Those were games that shaped their childhood, that, that shaped their lives. And um, so, yeah, it's like, uh, it's a... Coming into Atari and making games here, if there's a lot of like pressure to also like make sure we're doing that right, and that we are celebrating that that nostalgia in a way that people can connect to because it's so personal to them. Now, for uh, this is for you, uh, David, for the the game uh, Pixel Ripped, uh, how do you think it uses that nostalgia to kind of elevate it? Like, not necessarily just oh, here play Atari. Like, what do you, what is so special about this? They really immersed themselves, the team really immersed themselves in sort of this idea of the golden age and the golden era of gaming from 79 through 83. And they really, um, they really didn't stick to exactly what happened. They took a lot of liberties and creativity. You and I were talking about this before, that a lot of what people associate with Atari is the first time they played a game like this or the, the wonder of discovery and the playfulness. So they really explored and, and, and fooled around with, um, <coughs> fooled around with um, our characters and our games and immersed in that that moment where games gaming was really just being created you know and there's 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 such a rich environment for them to play in and and you know they've had a lot of fun working on it they really have over the last what 18 months about yeah I mean the, the, it's interesting because we just we just released Atari 50 um, which is a really important game for us it's, it's, it's in a lot of ways it's like this like non-fiction game it's like very much a path through actual history of what Atari did, what games were there. You can go back and play all those games. And um, I th that is like more of like a history lesson, which is really fun. But then this game is more of kind of tapping into what it felt like. What is it with the feeling of that nostalgia more than just the actual content itself? And a lot of times we kind of have, I talk about like uh, like GoldenEye, for example. I feel like I have like memories of playing GoldenEye. Like, oh man, it was like the best shooter ever. And the reason it came out again and I'm playing through it, it's like, this wasn't as good as I remember it. You have these rose-colored glasses looking back. It's my nostalgia. Because it's not really about that game. 
game. It's about like, oh, I was sitting, I was sitting in my like basement, like playing on the little two TV, and then put the cardboard up so like couldn't like peek to the other side as I was playing multiplayer and stuff. Like, I don't know. There's those moments of nostalgia that are they're about kind of this feeling more than they are about the actual history. So it's kind of cool how we we recently did Atari 50, which is this path through history with digital clips that does an incredible job with that game, and then the Arvory team is really doing more about the feeling it like and they really it's wacky and wild and they take a lot of liberties with what really happened during that period of time but it's all great because it just taps to that nostalgia feel yeah I, we talk i mean goldeneye is one of my all-time favorite games ever and yeah you're right it's sure we've, we've played it now and it's it's a little choppy or whatever but still i even at that time though it was like nothing you've ever played before yeah, yeah. And, and so you have that and then you also have the, the memory of playing it with your friends and, and doing however tournaments you guys came up with or whatever right so very good very, I love the GoldenEye reference anytime it comes up yes <laughs> Uh, so, um, you know, talking about just Atari as a whole, I think Atari has been doing things in the in the realm of gaming that's so unique. And one of my favorite things is the Atari XP. Uh, can we talk about that? Like, what's of going course, on with that? Of course, um, uh, happy to talk about that. It's it's fun. We actually have, um, uh, you know, we we launched that program a year past September. Now, we brought out some uh, prototype games that had had never gotten their official cartridge release. So, being able to come back like you know, 40 years later and give them their, their moment in the sun is great. There's a really strong community of people out there who, who want to play um, on, the original, on the original hardware or, or, or emulated hardware. And um, there's a bunch of people out there also who not only um, play the games, but, you know, there's a homebrew community that's still building things in assembly. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really dynamic... It's not just collectors. There are people who, who, who are really playing the games, building the games. It's, it's a community that, um, that is, was really excited to reconnect with Atari, and I think that's part of it, too, because Atari wasn't really in that conversation for a period of time, and now we're back, and they're ecstatic. Um, so we've got, uh, we launched um, 10 more games last year, and we've got a slate that I'm working on right now for later this year. We're really excited about. Um, there's going to be some fun stuff. Yeah, that's it's super exciting. Mike, would you agree there was something special about when you went to the store and you bought a game, and especially the cartridge days, right? And then you would open it up and go through everything. And especially Atari had this, you know, we all knew what Atari graphics were, right? But we would see the box art and you would just get so... Oh my God! Like, how, what's going to happen? What's this world going to be? And then you play, and then your imagination takes you everywhere. So, Atari XP, I think that elevates that in such a beautiful way. And I think it's so exciting to see you guys do that. You know, like bringing that again, kind of hitting the nostalgia points, right? Of just like collectors and whatnot too. You know. Yeah, and it's fun to reconnect with the original developers when we're talking about it, or with the the folks that have over the years, like working with somebody like Dennis De Debro, who, you know, um, who went into what Kurt had done and, and ROM hacked Yars um, Yars Returns. So that it was actually, you know, playable and really sweetened for the, for the cartridge release. Like tapping into that community is, is is half the fun and doing the research on on these games because when you look at Atari over the past fifty years, a lot of our legacy, a lot of the knowledge of like what has what Atari was and it has meant has been carried by the fans as much as and sometimes more than the company itself because the company went through. A number of iterations. The fan group have always been there, holding on to this, so they love seeing it celebrated as well. Mike, I'm curious what are your thoughts on all that. Well, I, I wanted to bring it up actually. The the old video game, you know, the art that's on the box or on the cartridge, and like 
what happens to all that, like all those originals? Like, are they in a vault somewhere? Is there like a museum where you could see them uh, framed? Really interesting uh, um, conversation that we probably can't go too deeply into. But what I would recommend mm. is I'd get on, um, I'd get Tim Lip- uh, Lapatino talking to you. He wrote a book called The Art of Atari. Mm-hmm. Where he went through, and he found all the collectors who own the originals, the original. Because Atari doesn't own a lot of it. A lot of it's up at the Museum of Game in Rochester. A lot of it's in private hands. And he went out and he found it all. And he did this amazing book where he wrote about um, uh, uh, each piece of key art and and what it meant and who did it. Um, and it took him a lot of time. And it's an amazing book. And we've actually been working with Tim. Um, we commissioned him to help find us some artists to do some of the modern key art we do. I mean, Atari invented key art. Like we, you know, the cover art, that was, that was an Atari thing, so it's really important to us. We often will commission more than one um, artist to work on a title. We'll do two alternates because it's just part of our legacy, and it's, it, it's part of how, like, it's part of the, the Atari vibe, the feel. You know? Man, I, that's exciting, right? Like, I'm sure as an artist, you must be like, wow, I would love to see all that, right, Mike? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of why I was asking it. And I think I've heard of that book, The, the Art of Atari. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, just to know where the originals are, you know, or what, how big they are, or, or all that stuff, just, yeah. yeah. And, and it, it, you know, I think everybody does assume that we've got, a, we've got the one special room where everything <laughs> is. And I have not found that room, and I'm looking for it. But, no, um, but as I said, the collector community... And, and organizations um, like some of the museums, and there's a, a couple of people who really consider themselves uh, Atari historians, and they are. They know all the stories. They know where things are. They've done a great job of keeping keeping the brand and the legacy alive over the years. Um, I, a lot of it is, you know, uh, there's the website atariprotos.com, which um, tracks every prototype game that was never released. And when we release a prototype on Atari XP, I call them, and we get into a great conversation about, okay, like, what do you know? And um, we even had a game, AquaVenture, that we released. We didn't know. Nobody could figure out who actually made the game. So we went into the, um, I, I went and talked to them, and then we went into the homebrew community, and they looked through the code in painstaking detail and found references to other games. We started to narrow down and, and figure out who actually built the game. And it turned out to be somebody who forgot that they even did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, I get you. <laughs> I wonder what that's like. Like, oh, uh, like what was that? Like, actually, just like they just like. <laughs> I think it's indicative of the of the um, pace at which Atari was functioning in the yeah. in the seventies, uh, late seventies, early eighties, where they were really creating lots of games. They had a lot of people, a lot of great developers came in and out of Atari. Um, and uh, and also the flurry of activity before the crash in '83, where there were a lot of games that either got um, redirected or just simply never released. And there's some really good, like Aqua Adventure's fun, and it's hard. Like, I don't know if you played it, but it is I we, we will fix that. It is a, it is a tough game. You know, people sit down. The classic Atari, easy um, easy to learn, hard to master. Yeah, some of those games, like as they they you know. They crank up fast. They crank up fast, and they really tried to push what you could do with an 8-bit game. And you talked to Howard Warshaw around, like, the decisions he made when he made the original Yars. Um, you know, he was trying to push it as far as he could uh, with just color and pattern and sound and everything. Like, how can I overwhelm the player? And if you go back and play it, there are moments where you're like, oh, I get it. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just too much, yeah. Uh, you know, I think Atari's always been just very good at that magic of just challenge right just challenge 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 and but you also there was also something fun about that right like i mean I, obviously i didn't grow up in that era where atari came out but when i finally got an atari there was something fun about playing you know adventure and then like just really 
going on this wondrous trip on your own. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know. Uh, but I am curious, though, but well, before we wrap up here, is uh, the Atari VCS. How has that been received? I, I, I've been kind of interested. I, I, I want one terribly uh, because they're just... What it's doing, I think, as an, as the idea of what, like it's like it's like it's a console, but it's like a PC hybrid, right? Like it's so much more than that, right? It is. It's a um, it's an interesting beast. It is a it is a it is a PC, and you can and you can use it as a PC, but it's also a console, um, and it's got a storefront on it with a lot of software on it. Um, I think a lot of what you'll see Atari do in our software and hardware ecosystem that the VCS is part of is that we are going to continue to dig deeper and deeper into the retro roots of it and the retro-inspired piece of it. So as we make more announcements over the coming year, you'll start to see that play out, and it'll be more retro. I think some of the um, some of the early positioning around the VCS was, you know, the question was like, what exactly is it? Is it a modern device? It streams really well. Like I use it at home, and I all my streaming services I run through the VCS because it's just so easy because it's got Google built in. But that's not really what um, what's coalesced around it is this community of like developers and really, really um, hardcore um, Atari classic enthusiasts. Um, I was talking to two of, two of our um, more prolific game developers that contribute to the VCS this morning, um, uh, 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 Retro Ninja Todd, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Tony Barnes, and, uh, and Yanni Pettinen, and that they're just part of that community. They're, they wrote games in assembly and now they write games in, in unity but like they, they have that lineage and they love they love the community that's developed around the VCS um, it, it's it's fun it's it's become a microcosm of that really hardcore Atari fan and I really want to get one of those mic keep that in mind <laughs> I, I really like because it strikes my fancy every time I see it because it's like I love that idea the right guy. okay well okay <laughs> we'll talk more later then <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Uh, so before we wrap up, Mike, do you have anything else you'd like to talk about or add? I just, I want to say, just because uh, I remember being a kid wanting a Nintendo, you know, the first Nintendo, and we weren't, we didn't have enough money to get one. So instead, for, for Christmas, I got a, a, you know, a used Atari with like 100 games, you know, and the back had to be, you had to screw drive the, the little forks into the VHF outlet and some one of the wires was soldered, so it had to be sitting the right way. But just to say, I'm so glad that I, that, that happened because otherwise I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to get into all those games. And like it's the first one, really, that set the tone for everyone else. So it's just really awesome to see where it's at now in VR because you know, VR is on the other end of that spectrum, right? And so it's just so awesome to see that it's all kind of come come around in the way that it has. If you ask Wade, um, our, you know, Wade Rosen, the CEO of Atari, one of like the primary goal we all have, we understand that, that um, anybody who works for Atari is in a bit of a caretaker role, right? This is a brand that's been around for 50 years. And if you step back, there's a, we have a strategy, we have a mission, we have things we want to do, right? But if you were to step back and ask the simple question, well, what do you really want to do? And it's like 50 years from now, Atari is is as relevant as it is it is today or as it was 50 years ago it's still this sort of hybrid pop culture gaming brand that everybody knows and loves like we treat it with respect and we make sure that we've got another 50 years and more ahead of us that that's that's what wade will like paraphrase the business strategy as it's like a bigger goal 
that we understand. I love that, man, because I do think in 50 years it should be uh, relevant. I mean, this is, it's like, it doesn't get any more legacy than Atari, right? Like, that's, that's the legacy. Uh, what I want to ask, though, before we wrap up, actually, is one of my favorite things that Atari's ever made, and maybe this is something you don't get often, but it's the Atari Jaguar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the Atari Jaguar. Uh, I'm a big fan of just that era of where we were kind of transitioning to the next level of tech, I guess. And, uh, yeah, I love like the Jaguar. Uh, the 3DO is actually my favorite console of all time. Like, it's weird, I know, <laughs> but like I love that. That was a special era for me as well. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Okay, awesome. So you get that then? You get that energy? I wasn't me, but I had like a friend who like had all the consoles during that period of time. I could go over there and play like you know the Bonk's Adventure or like uh, you know new Jaguar games like yeah. Tempest and stuff like that. Like they were all it was all new. Yeah. There wasn't wasn't Jaguar just such a crazy feeling like when you played it for the first time? I mean, for me it was. Yeah, I mean, I think that for me back then it was it w- was the connection point. I'm I'm a little bit older. Um, I'm sorry, I'm a little bit young for the initial Atari era. Like I I we had a 2600 at my house growing up, but I always identify as the NES as my like sort of first like sort of um, you know walk through the mirror. Um, but. The um, the Jaguar ended up being that connection point for me at that age to the Atari brand. I think because I think the prolifer like proliferation of the of the console market at that time, there were a lot of these exciting things, and the Jaguar was another one of those. And it was like finally an opportunity for me to connect with that brand of Atari. Um, but it also was kind of elusive. I feel like. You know, like not, not many people had them, and so like like I had my one this guy Jeff. I remember his name because I go over to his house to play Jaguar and other games and stuff like that. He'd like fall asleep, and I'd like stay up all night like playing games, and his because he had all the you know his parents would buy him all this stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it was a special uh, console for our our generation, and it's interesting because on Atari. Sorry, I keep going back to Atari Fifty, but on Atari Fifty, when we were working on Atari Fifty, we did a lot of special emulation work to try to bring Jaguar games back, and it was the thing that was the most exciting to the community that really stood out for that for that product of Atari Fifty, and we're continuing to want to make that better. We actually recently updated the game to add more controller functionality that. You know, we didn't because if you remember the Jaguar controller had like all these buttons and all this stuff on it. We added deeper like uh, emulation support to like make use of as much of what the original Jaguar could provide. I say we, I mean uh, Digital Eclipse did, mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, and we're gonna, we're we're it sparked uh, some thought in us for future things that we may want to do in continued support for that Jaguar community. And, you know, you're talking now, remind, remind me on this, if before the Jaguar came out, there was supposed to be another console, correct? Right in between, uh, the links, I think, and then there was supposed to be something else and it got canceled. Then it became Jaguar. Is that correct? I'm not hundred percent sure yeah, to sure be honest. History. There was so much going on. Okay. Yeah. It's really interesting. There were so many like, um, uh, prototypes and ideas uh, swimming around in Atari. That's part of Atari's legacy is, is always, you know, there's this innovation piece in it. Um, I can't speak to it, right? And it's funny because, you know, the people who listen to the podcast will be like, you know, like <laughs> 900 of them will be like, I have that answer. Um, but the Jaguar is interesting because it was, it was really only in production for barely over a year, right? Um, so a lot of the games that were launched on it are the ones that people don't get to play anymore because... 
there aren't a lot of Jaguars out there. It's not like the 2600, which was produced for a very long time. You can still get used ones. You can get um, modern ones that, uh, that'll accept carts. Jaguar is kind of like, as you said, it, it, there's a mystique to it. So the community was very excited that, that there was a lot of Jaguar content in an Atari 50 and Digital Clips, as Ethan said, just did a, an amazing job making those games accessible. And part of part of Atari and part of being in the retro community is this idea of preservation, right? There's so many good games, um, but part of preservation is accessibility. Just because somebody has the ROM somewhere, isn't it's not the same thing. For us, preservation is, well, people get to play it, yeah. right? And I think Atari 50 is a, is a really good starting point for that, and we'll look for more ways to bring games from ST, Lynx, Jaguar out and, and make them accessible f- for people because a lot of those games were pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. I, I, interesting enough, I actually didn't know Atari 50 had the Jaguar games on it. Mm-hmm. So now that I know that, <laughs> I yeah. definitely need to get that because, yeah, Jaguar was has holds a special place in my heart. If they ever made a 3DO collection too, like, oh, I want that day one. But before we wrap up here, uh, thank you guys just so much. Uh, where can our audience kind of learn more about this game and also purchase any Atari products? Well, Atari.com. <laughs> yeah, Atari. that easy. Huh? Yeah, we we've done a lot of a lot of work recently in trying to make uh, Atari.com more of a, a central place for you know information about our games, uh, as well as like apparel and other stuff, VCS stuff. Uh, people SP might want to get SP everything, oh, yeah. and we're and there's going to be more. I mean, you can speak more to the the hardware stuff, but you know XP and hardware things down the road, like there, you know, it'll be a great place to go find information about that stuff. And we have a lot of exciting stuff planned. There's a lot. It's going to be a fun. Um, it's going to be a fun year. I can't wait. I can't wait. Mike, can you wait? I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Not at all. Thanks a lot. All right. I'm sure you can hear that sound in the background. That's Mike playing uh, Pixel Rip 1978. Now it's always fun watching our pal Mike play a VR game because he has the best reactions whenever he plays anything. So be prepared for that. Uh, but. Everybody listening, I'm sure you guys, who, who are you talking to? Now, please introduce yourselves and what you guys are doing uh, for with Atari and Pixel Ripped uh, 1978. Yeah, I'm Ricardo Justice. I'm the CEO and founder of Arvory, which is the studio behind Pixel Ripped, the Pixel Ripped series. I'm Anna Ribeiro, the creator and creative director of Pixel Ripped. That's so amazing. So, uh, first of all, let's talk about what Pixel Rift is. Uh, I heard there's a fun story of how it all happened. Uh, do you want to go and take lead on that? Yeah, so Pixel Rift, this, the Pixel Rift series is a series created by Ana Ribeiro, and it's a series of games, vir- virtual reality games, born from the ground up for VR that transport you to your childhood, to the past, uh, and to the... To the to that place where we were playing games growing up, right? So this is the third game. Pixrip nineteen seventy eight is the third game in the series. So we launched uh, Pixrip nineteen eighty nine and Pixrip nineteen ninety five previously uh, for PlayStation VR, for Quest, for all the VR platforms. And each one took you to a different era of games. So eighty nine took you sort of to the Game Boy era. Uh, ninety five took you to the tail end of the sixteen bits into the thirty two bit era. And this time in nineteen seventy eight, we're taking you to the Atari era. And we partnered with Atari. In previous games, we were doing homages to consoles. We weren't actually referencing the real consoles. We were inventing consoles that paid homage. And it's, it's always been a love letter to gaming, right? But in this game, we're actually using Atari IP thanks to this uh, partnership. So we have the 2600. We have references to old consoles, to old games, and the real deal, right? Yeah. It's amazing. Now, let me ask you this. How does it feel to like have Atari a huge, as a huge part of this, like officially? 
It's a, for us, it's an honor. Like, like Ricardo said, we, it's the first time we do something like that. And uh, this year, we're actually doing 10 years of this franchise. So Pixel Ripped uh, was a student project of mine. Uh, back in 2013, we started with the Oculus DK1, the developer kit one. The, so it was always made for VR. So it, it has been a long journey with the franchise until I found Ricardo and we joined forces and released the first Pixel Ripped in 2018 and um, since then we grow the, the company grows so much and and the franchise we have been releasing like uh, titles together like we even have another this year was the first time we had two pixel rip mm -hmm. games going on at the same time we had pixel rip 1978 and then we had pixel rip for holoride another platform that you play in the back of your car so it was like a, a spin-off on pixel rip 1995 which was pixel rip on the road so it's the first time we had two pixel rip going on and then we had even another team going on uh, working on the port for the PlayStation VR of 1995. So it is growing. It's great for me to see how much the franchise has grown, how much the team has grown. Like being with Arvory today, we have a team of 20 people. When I was a student, it was just me. I have some friends helping when they could. That indie game developer life, like that is investment. That is no investment. And that is like people helping you because they really your friends, so it, it's it's crazy to have now a big franchise, uh, like the franchise growing and also have a partnership like Atari, which is the first video game console that we both played. So it, it's an honor, it's, uh, it is really emotional. Yeah, I'm like, I have no words to describe, but yeah, it is, I'm, I'm really happy for the project and for this long journey in my life and in the project with the team. We work really hard on this project, so it's, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just thankful for everything that is going so far. I love it. It's it's always surreal, right? When you're very when you're passionate about something, whether it be you know being an artist, a game developer. I mean, we're all artists in our own right. And when you're passionate about it, and then you keep pushing forward, and you know what that's your your purpose and your intention, things will just come your way. And you know, now that you're here doing this, like your stories, it's incredible. And just to know that you know, that road led you to having a you know game partnered with Atari, which you know is truly one of the biggest best brands in the gaming industry right so for that just that's so awesome that you you you're, you're having this happen now so let me ask you this what do you hope that players get from playing 1978 versus the other one what makes this one the, the most like special if you will the, this is the first one that we go back in time so all the previous episodes were kind of going forward, 1989, 1995, everyone was expecting 2000s. And then this is the first one that we talk about the origins of the series, the origins of Pixel Rip series, how the world was created, how, how uh, far off a land, the land of Dot was created. And um, we wanted to make it different from the other games because we're now in the third episode. So um, that is a mechanic that we wanted to work for a long time. And we had to cut it out from 1995, which is the ability of uh, exploring the game world in 3D, in first person, talk to NPCs, have combats. And this is something that our fans had been putting on the reviews. And from 1995, we have all over people like, oh, I wish I could play and kill enemies and explore and be dot in first person. And and the team, we all like, yes, we wish too. And it was so frustrating. And when we started this game, we were sure like we have to do this. The first mechanic, the main mechanic is going to be about players being dot and using her powers, adding pixels to objects, explore dot world. So this is a, a big thing in a game that you see. There's so many dimensions. 
We already had the 2D platform game, the real world, VR world, and now we have the first person exp 3D, 3D, 3D game. It's just, we're crazy. We're like, it wasn't like Dimension is enough, and now we are even adding like time travel that we didn't yeah. have in the other games. The other games, you just go to that year and you stay there. On this one, the title is 1978, but you travel between like 1972 until 1983, so it's kind of a lot going on. <laughs> I, I love that. I think that's, in, that's incredible. And, you know, let me ask you this, you know, VR is becoming such a, um, it's becoming such a, a, a full force now, right? Like we're starting to really see that we can do be bigger and better things with VR, right? Uh, what is something that you hope to like add with your VR experience? Like, do you think one day we'll see haptics maybe? What do you think? Well, I mean, we're, we're all, we've always been believers, right? We've Arvary, I founded Arvary in 2017, and we've always been fully dedicated to VR, mixed reality games, all that. And it's really cool to just see the, the evolution of the hardware. Like, sometimes we're making a game, and the hardware, there's new hardware coming out while we're developing with new capabilities, like the PSVR 2 has eye tracking, head haptics, and all that, that, that weird stuff. So you just learn to adapt and incorporate the stuff and explore how you can create cooler stories and cooler games using that tech, right? So we've always been believers and we're really, I think like eventually, I mean, there's already hand tracking in VR. There's already a bunch of like cool stuff that we're, we're incorporating into games, right? So it's just more ways to interact with virtual worlds and, and all that. So it just makes the games better, right? And, and the cool thing about Pixar particularly is you're sitting down playing a video game, which is something you're used to doing in real life, but then this virtual world is happening around you and it sort of increases the immersion, right? Yeah. Because now you're, you sort of forget there's that second layer of virtual reality around you and you start believing that world and be more immersed in it, so it's really cool. I, I love that. I think, I think what's great is like, with any VR game, right? It, some of the games are just a little too gimmicky, I feel. Mm -hmm. But what, I, what I've noticed in, in the research I've done with this is that it, it feels so involved. Like, you're a part of it. You're a part of that experience. You know, you are that character. So I'm curious. Uh, Mike, can you hear me? Yeah. Mike, how do you like it? It's crazy right now. I'm in the world. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you're in that? Like, you really there? Do you feel really there? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, before we wrap up, I do want to ask uh, Anna... Your, 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 your costume. Can you describe it to our, uh, our listeners? So this is uh, Dot, um, the hero. And when I created her, I wanted her to represent uh, all these male characters that I grew up playing, like Sonic, Mario, Mega Man. And I, I, I always wanted, when I was a child, to, to have this badass female character. And it was really frustrating to just see female characters in side places, like... like in maybe Streets of Rage, you have one girl, or Street Fighter, you have one, and Golden Axe. And I was so excited to play with those female characters, but they were never like the main ones. So it was like a growing up frustration. And I wanted to create this character and, and to represent all these heroes, but it's, she's a badass character. She's Mega Man Mario, but she's a female, and there's no, and it's not a big deal about it. She's badass because she is. And, um, I, I hope this helps little girls in the world to kind of get inspired to uh, to like games and to make more games and to have more game developers in the industry. I think it's kind of like a, 
I think it would help. <laughs> so I am cosplaying her too. <laughs> As you see, uh, I used to do cosplay before making okay. games. I used to do Shira from He-Man. Nice. Many people don't know anymore, it's sad, from the 80s. <laughs> and uh, Naruto cosplays. And every time I would go to Comic-Con or a game convention, I would dress up. And the first time I showed the game was Eurogamer. 2013 and then we had this place the opportunity to show the game and I was like I'm gonna dress like Shira and I was like wait a minute doesn't make any sense <laughs> and I I thought oh my god I can dress up as my character why why not and then I got together with this friend we got like a plastic bean and did the first laser gun with a bean it's like a plastic bean I got on okay. Amazon anyways it involved a lot and this is like the fifth maybe we're doing and they're all made by my brother now and he does all the 3d printing all the electronics um arduino stuff so we have this panel of the like in the game um and i have also have the helmet that lights on there's leds and the dress was made by my aunt and uh, <laughs> this was made by family my other affair. i know i was gonna say it's a family cosplay affair i love it yeah a lot of work with my family does every every time so yeah so it's all made Family that's love. <laughs> that's incredible. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys so much for taking time and talking about your game. Uh, I'm very excited about this. Do we have a release date for it? Uh, we're, well, right now we're only announcing it. We're not announcing the specific release date, but it's coming out this summer. So, okay. yeah. Awesome. Sometime this summer. Awesome, awesome. And where can I... It's coming up for all the major... Oops. I yeah, for... this. <laughs> it's coming up for all the major platforms. So, PlayStation VR 2, Quest 2, uh, Steam VR. VR. So, Steam VR, the major headsets. So... Awesome, awesome. Now, where can our audience uh, also connect with you guys online or go to a website? What's, where can they do all that at? So the, if you go to pixelrip.com, there's a link to our Discord. So you, you'll find us on, on Discord. Uh, and I think that's the easiest way to find us. And, 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 we are uh, everywhere. Twitter, yeah. Twitter uh, Instagram. You just Pixel look Pixel Rip, at Avery, You can find it too. Uh, and uh, if you go to Discord, it'll be better because uh, we are going to be testing the game maybe. And if people yeah. there are there, they're going to have more close information to the game, more close contact to us. So, yeah, if you can go to Discord, we can be closer to you guys, yeah. the fans. And, uh, yeah, and Maybe chosen as a beta, beta tester oh. too. Yeah, we do, we do beta tester, tests with uh, like fans on Discord. So, yeah, yeah, not just Pixel Rip, but all, our, all uh, our games. Yeah, topics. so... That's, that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Everybody listening, please go check them out. It's super exciting. Mike, you still having a good time? I'm not, I'm not getting out of here. <laughs> good, good. I hope you just keep playing forever. Uh, I'll go find a new co-host finally. <laughs> thank you guys so much. Seriously, thank you guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right, Uncle Dad here with Stefan. Uh, just tell us who you are, what you do, and what is this amazing product we're about to talk about. Yeah, my name is Stefan Vidal. I'm VP Product and Branding at D-Box. D-Box is quite well known in the theatrical sector for its motion chairs. And we're presenting today a chair that we developed with Cooler Master. That's the first haptic gaming chair uh, available in the world for gamers, all type of games. So. That experience of D-Box is truly one of the most immersive cinematic experiences out there. So I'm curious, what was it like to bring that to the home? Was that a challenge or what, what was that journey like? So in fact, it really started with the theatrical sector. We had people that realized that there was something that they could do also for gaming. And some of them started to game with their 
uh, home theater seats. And then we, and, and when we realized that, we said, okay, there's something that we need to do for gaming. And that's really how it started. And then we talked to some chair manufacturers and obviously the rest is history. So we're coming up with that type of product, but it really started with the home theater uh, sector. That's amazing. And I feel like that experience in the theater really is like, it's a game changer. Like if I can choose that option for every movie, I will. Like it's not a joke. Like I love that experience. So having this in my home, just feels like something that is a no-brainer, right? Like if you want that ex immersiveness, right? Absolutely. So ex that's exactly what D-Box is doing. We are enhancing, enhancing experiences, experiences when you watch movie, when you play a game, and that chair can be used. Obviously, it, it, you use it at home to work. You use it to. You can also watch movie and have the same type of experience that you have in theaters, and you can also obviously use it for gaming. So. That's, that's so incredible. So now the partnership with Cooler Master, where, where does Cooler Master come into this? Is it just for the manufacturing or for some of the parts? How does that? So that chair has been designed and developed by Cooler Master. D-Box is providing the Aptic technology, but the chair itself, it's a Cooler Master chair. It's their product. We are embedded within their chair with our Aptic technology, but that's really a really good fit uh, of the two companies together to, to come up with that type of let's say unique and uh, unique product. Yeah, so now can this, how does it really work? Like you just plug it into your computer and then it just goes on off any game? Do you need to develop for it? How does that work? Yeah, so there's, there's three things. First of all, there's the device itself, which is the chair. Then obviously you need software to activate the chair and then you need to have the content. The content could be movie, could be a game. There's different ways of uh, leveraging the content so today obviously you can use content that is encoded like a like a movie or like games that are encoded but you can also have two other um, gaming mode you have the audio mode which is based on the audio and then you also have the adaptive gaming mode which is based on uh, let's say the way that you set up the controller so you set up the controller you determine let's say that this button will trigger that type of movement and 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 you have access to all type of games so not only the games that are encoded but all type of games with with those last two modes the audio mode and the uh, adaptive audio incredible now is this also a uh work with VR well as well? It works with VR as well, yes, that's, absolutely. Yes. That's incredible because I yeah. feel like getting that experience to elevate VR, right, so what we all want. Full immersion, let's see, with VR it's full immersion, yeah. I love that. Now, is this available to market yet or what's the release, what are we looking for? So we're looking, Cooler Master is looking at um, offering it in pre-sales at the end of May. Obviously it's to be confirmed, but that's the date that we have today. Uh, they, in fact, they, they were planning to launch it at Computex in Taipei at the end of uh, at the end of May. And is there a retail price yet, or no? The retail price is supposed to be between twenty-three and twenty-four hundred dollars. I mean, that's not too bad if you're trying to get that immersive experience, right? Absolutely. When you compare it to a standard chair that you buy online, some of them are costing, let's say, I don't want to say close to that, but uh, when you compare the type of experience that it provides, I think it's a. Uh, it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Where can our audience learn more about this product or, or want to buy the product or pre-order? How do they go about that? I'm not sure that I... Okay, no worries. Oh, well, where they where can they learn about the product? Like if they oh, wanted to go online? Well, Cooler Master, obviously, that's the place that they can get information. That's really their product. So obviously, when it's going to be launched, there will be way more uh, information. But today, if you go on their website, there's, I think that there's enough information for people to figure out exactly what's going to be. Okay, awesome, awesome. Thank you so, so, so much. Seriously, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank My you. My pleasure. Let's check in with Mike here. Mike, how does it feel? Don't bother me. I'm watching Top Gun. 
that that must be a crazy experience right now. <laughs> it is. It's wild. I'm I'm in the jet. I am I am the Maverick. Are you Tom Cruise? Then you're Tom Cruise. Yes. <laughs> He's Maverick. Yeah, I think that's better, right? We all, we, your lives are similar. <laughs> yeah, I fly a jet all the time. Oh, that's not the part I was talking about. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this thing is amazing. Like, I, I was playing a game, uh, a car game. You're on the road. It feels nice and smooth, but you can still feel, like, the, the feeling of being on the asphalt. Then you go off-road, and definitely it's bumpier. You run into things. You feel the bumps and the bangs and the twists. And then now in this, I'm, I'm you know, when they're doing the, the G-Force, I feel it. Whoa, when he's shooting, I can feel it rumbling my tuchus. Uh, so, yeah, this thing is great. It's also wildly quiet. I'm actually surprised how quiet it is. Like, that's, I mean, I know we're in a loud environment, but, I, you know, it, I wasn't expecting to be so quiet. Like, that's pretty cool, man. Well, Mike, uh, I think you need to buy one now. I think you need to buy me one. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think you're right. I will do that. I'll do that. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for giving us your insight. This is my review. <laughs> All right, Mike and not Mike. <laughs> Uncle Dad and Mike here. <laughs> And uh, we're walking to go see our friends, uh, Tilt 5. And if you don't remember, we had them on last year, and it was one of the best things we saw at the show. What do you think? Absolutely. Yeah, that, the way that game board looked on the table is unreal. Unreal. <laughs> unreal, but not that unreal. Not the brand unreal, but it, the experience was unreal. Oh, yeah. It's uh, pretty crazy because it was the first time you kind of experienced like a hologram in such a easy, involved way and the board had nothing to do with it. It was all in the glasses, right? Wait, what? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'll tell you the signs next time. <laughs> but uh, we are on our way right now. So far, it's been another great day here at the con. A lot of great stuff. A lot of play, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, if you haven't checked out Among Us and VR yet, let me tell you, that is such a fun thing to play, man. VR, Among Us. I never thought I would want to play that, but wow, that was fun. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. And, this, and we'll be joined by the crew of Tilt 5. All right, Uncle Dad here with Mike. Uncle, Uncle Dad. Mike, say hello. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> it's been a long day, Mike. It's been a long day. You know, I, I'll get it together. Don't worry. Uh, we are with somebody who was here on the show last year, the only returning guest uh, for GDC, uh, this GDC episode. We are with Jerry of Tilt 5. Jerry, how are you? Well, thanks for having me again. I'm honored. I'm the only returning guest. I, I can see the tiredness in everyone's eyes. It's uh, pretty intense here. It's bigger this year. Holy hell. Uh, let's, so let's talk about, we wanted to just check in and do an update about this amazing product. I mean, it sounds like there's been a lot going on. I mean, we, as always, so we've seen you a couple times throughout last year where, like, there's just lines out the doors. And every time we were going to try to say hi, you guys were just nonstop busy. So clearly something is working very well. So let's talk about what has updated since uh, our last visit with you. Yeah, I was just over the booth there. It looked like a pretty darn long line again, which makes me very, very happy. Well, since we last spoke, um, a lot has happened. I believe the last time we uh, spoke, we were getting close to manufacturing. We weren't quite there yet. It was all just a big pipe dream that we had. But uh, I was just uh, mentioning to you before we started, in September, we started shipping in pretty decent volume. We had done a Kickstarter a little bit prior to that. So we'd sold you know, close to 6,000 units on Kickstarter. It was the largest ever AR project. And so we got all those out the door, which was a big lift. And then in the meantime, while the units started going out to people and they got to play with them, new orders started rolling in because people would tell their friends, like, that's pretty cool. And so then we ended up getting pretty back ordered. So we kept ratcheting up manufacturing. 
And just this month, we finally reached the point where we're making enough to kind of keep up with demand. And that means people can go to our website and then buy one and they can get it a couple days later, which is, I didn't think it would take this long, but I'm, it's good problems to have. I would say so. Well, what do you think about all that, Mike? Yeah, I mean, so part of why we wanted to have you back on was because your the experience we had with SoFi was such a la like a lasting one. Like I think it was one of the most impactful things we experienced while we were here, and so uh, and so to now know that you can order it and it can come in just I don't know a week with shipping and everything, right? That is pretty pretty exciting. Yeah. So like if I buy one right now in New York, I'll have it like a week or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we might go out of stock today. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, and and uh, when you were out before, you were only doing single player experiences. Like we were, we were still kind of in that early stage. And one of the big improvements we we made this year is uh, local multiplayer, where you can have just one game running, but you can plug in four headsets and you can all share. And even if it's a single player game, you can sit there as a spectator and watch, which is really cool. And then you can pass controls around. And so, like, I play the first level, oh, I can't beat it here, you try. And, and it makes even the single-player games more um, social. And then our developers have been taking to the uh, multiplayer aspect because it's so easy to use. We're getting tons of multiplayer games that are coming out each week now. And so that's exciting. So it gives more to do on our system. I think we're, I think we're approaching, like, 45 games or so. Um, you know, they're either on our website or going to be out, like real soon like it seems like every week we're releasing a new thing to try wow so now when you when you talk about the, the games and like people developing for it can anybody do that now or is that just something that you know they need to contact you for how does that go for well we always believe that our system every system should be also a developer system so the tools are all free it doesn't cost anything to publish a game on our system so you can just you know, if you make a game, you can put it on your favorite app store and, you know, sell it or give it away free. And so it's really easy. And then our SDK, we put a lot of work into it, and that's improved a lot over the last year as well. We've made it completely drag and drop. So if you have an existing game, you can drag in our plugin and literally it'll start rendering like immediately. You'll see it on the table and then you can just dial some knobs and kind of scale things. and. It's pretty amazing how fast you can see what it's going to look like. Of course, the devil's in the details. Like, we have a really cool input features. Like, we have our magic wand that's got joysticks and buttons, but it's also six degrees of freedom pointing device, so you can point to things. And, you know, if you're going to add the fe those features to your game, you're going to want to hook it up to things. And, and there's some new features that are coming out, things like hand tracking. That'll be in this year. Uh, we were testing that internally. It's, pr it's pure magic, like, you know just reaching in and grabbing things or shoving things around. And there's a, a demo that um, I was playing with the other day. <laughs> they called it extendo hands, where you move your hands like a centimeter or so in front of you, but the virtual hand kind of moves faster. It's kind of nonlinear. So it's like, I want to grab that chess piece across the table, boop, or I want to knock that wall down. And it just, bam, it just feels like you're God or something. So that's, once that gets all debugged and out there and developers start playing with it, it's it's a... You know, what's so exciting, I've been in the video game space for quite some time in the toy space, and this is like a brand new palette you get to work with, and that's that's exciting. We've been stuck on 2D screens for a long time, and there's just all this new gameplay that you can um, experiment with. We were talking earlier about 
maybe off mic about hand tracking and how it was this thing that came out, especially in VR, and then it kind of stopped going anywhere. Like you didn't see much happening with it anymore, like much support for it, or even here, much, much people offering that as part of their gameplay. So that's exciting, you know, just because the way the setup it, it is, it's like a, you know, it's kind of like a board game, which you would grab pieces. So what are like? Can you throw out some of the names of the games that are that are uh, more new? Yeah, yeah. Well, we just, Till 5 ourselves, we just launched Takenoko. It's a very popular Japanese board game, and it can do local and internet uh, remote play. So it's a nice, friendly, family fun game. Uh, we're working on Catan, Settlers of Catan. That's uh, right after it. Then right after that, we've licensed some other games I can't mention, but they're in the pure video game space that are going to be launched by us. Uh, Third-party games that are pretty interesting, Battle Planet. Um, uh, last year they had a solo version of it. Their co-op version is coming out, and that one is crazy fun, where you're sitting across the table with your friends defending these planets. Um, there's Battle Map Studio if you're into Dungeons & Dragons. Um, so we're showing that in the booth where you can procedurally generate these uh, maps. So you can make terrain and trees and water. And you can drag in dungeons and monsters. And um, there's uh, War Tile just came out. This one is beautiful. It's an Unreal game. It's absolutely beautiful, like turn-based. It feels like a D&D type game. Um, and they're, they're all little miniatures that um, they move and they kind of have this little motion like they're real miniatures wobbling across the table as you move them and you know it's got hours of gameplay um headlands uh, that one i've been exploring recently it's a uh how do i want to des describe it it's a uh, very beautiful colorful um almost like an rpg game or cross with zelda it's hard to describe but it's it's pretty neat. that one's got hours of play i haven't even made it like one tenth of the way into it and uh, and then on the art side, uh, very popular applications called Figment XR. We're showing that over in our booth. So this is also a little interesting to describe. Um, this one is really amazing for introducing people to XR. And I've seen multiple times on social media folks say, like, I showed my dad Figment XR, and my dad never played video games before, couldn't understand them or even do them. but. Um, it resonated with them. And what this this sandbox is, is it's got um, basically all of Tilt Brush, which, you know, people remember that from VR, but it's on the table. So you can sit there across the table with all your friends drawing, you know, in 3D and sharing the experience. You can all draw together, right? And it's really, it's got this presence to it. But it also has this other side of it where you can bring in 3D models. So you can go to Sketchfab, bring in 3D models, you can attach physics to it and game logic. You can even create like games in it. And it's super intuitive because it uses our wand and you're just picking things up and moving. And uh, you, you brought up, I just want to touch on hand tracking. Like I've been in this space for 13 years. I started at Valve Software and like we've, even back then we were exploring hand tracking and wands and stuff. There's a, a place for everything and there's like killer apps for everything. Like hand tracking I find is like, you know, really great for kind of playful kind of experiences, but it's not good for your Twitch shooter games. You, you don't want to be sitting there like um, tapping your fingers together to fire a gun. And that's where like the magic wand or the joysticks come in where you have buttons that have a tactile feel to them. And, and uh, we just have this real neat blend of 
traditional almost twin stick shooter games where you're not using the pointing function of our wand and then we have the 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 systems where you're pointing and clicking and lifting things up and really using the six degrees of freedom and then in the future we're going to have like these pretty playful things where you're grabbing stuff and feeling like you're you know have superpowers that's that's the set. You're making me excited. As a gamer, just listening to it, it's like, I need to get one of these. I haven't got one yet, but I need to get I, one. I hear you can get one in about a week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I heard that too, so I probably should do that, right? That's that's the plan. What's interesting about what we're talking about, what I find that I would like to see, like a game-wise, I would love to see a Smash TV port. Oh, Smash Brothers type thing? No, do you remember Smash TV back in the day? It was, a top, it was like a top-down, almost like Running Man. And you would go in and you would have to shoot all these people. It's like a twin shooter. And then like at the end of each level, you win money and then you keep playing and you keep going. Leveling up. I vaguely recall this. It was, it was a huge hit in the arcades. I'm sure you remember that, right, Mike? I remember the name, but I don't remember playing it yet. Oh, it's such a good game. But it would fit exactly what yeah. you're saying on that, especially on that world and the, the idea of like that space, like the, the game board space. Oh my gosh, that'd be so cool. So we're... We're working on kind of an internal project just to give out to the developers to show some aspects of our system, which is kind of a Smash Brothers um, type game. It's pretty fun. Um, it's you know it's it's more to show off the technical things like how do you have like multiple like cameras and different perspectives all running around and and things like that. But we find it pretty addicting, even though it's uh, more of a tech demo. You know, all these uh, various creatures with their different powers. You know, doing. You know, trying to knock people off the platform. It's crazy how like a tech demo just becomes like a real game to, to yeah. some people, right? Yeah. Uh, Mike, do you have anything else before we wrap up? Well, just just to reiterate, for those who did not listen to our episode last year with Till Five, this is like a. I'm going to try to describe it from from my point of view, which probably sound dumb, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a it's kind of like a soft board that just kind of unfolds or rolls out, maybe. And you plug it into the wall and your glasses that you put on. And you have a wand, which we've talked about. And there's a 3D game that comes up that you and whoever else has the glasses on can see. So it's, 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 you don't have to have a computer. You don't have to have a game console. You just have to have this. You can take it anywhere. And uh, it doesn't take three hours to set up. How is that? How's that? Is that okay? Let's, uh, let's, have, let's have you correct him now. Because I know what, what things he forgot and messed up. <laughs> well, that was close. That was close. Yeah, you do have to have a computer or a phone. Okay. So the games run on the computer. But uh, um, uh, in general, your description is pretty good. It's like, think of back in the Millennium Falcon, Falcon on Star Wars, like holograms popping out of the table. And uh, it's, it's the things we've seen in movies for the last 40 years. And, you know, it's possible today. And, you know, the reason it's possible today is we have, we invented this really clever optical system that solves all these difficult problems in the space. If you've ever used any other AR system, it's like looking at a postage stamp. Or if you've used, like, the new Oculus that has video pass-through, it's like looking at a VHS tape uh, from the 1980s at your real world. We've solved all those problems with this board that you roll out onto the table, which is an active part of the optics that generate the holograms that are emitted from the glasses. And that's why it's so inexpensive. To get started, the base kit's only 359 that gets you the board, the wand, and your glasses. And then if you want to get the multiplayer kits, like it's only $300 more for every wand and headset after that. 
And, you know, on average, we're seeing people are buying about two systems each. So that's exciting. Like, we had this theory years ago when we started the company that, you know, people want to play together across from each other. And it, you can't really do that well on an Xbox. Like, maybe there's a couple split-screen things, but, like, this it natively is multi, can do multiplayer. It's also good solo, but it's... But people are buying into it, which means there's going to be a lot of content that comes that's multiplayer. That's, see, that, and that's awesome because I think the fear with anything, right, especially like when you put out like a, essentially like a new console, yeah. there's that fear of like what's the support after, right? I know for me, like, uh, I don't know if you remember the, I know it's not the same thing, but do you remember the, the Oya? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was so juiced for that. And then it kind of just went nowhere, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, if you, you guys should come by our office sometime. It's like a museum. So every room's dedicated to a company that we admire. So there's a Nintendo room, a Sega room. There's an Atari Age room, which is all like going back to 1972 and has the first game consoles. There's pinball machines. There's arcade games. Uh, there's rocket parts. But um, you talk about Ouya. In my office, I have cabinets dedicated to failed devices, and I love those are my favorite part of the collection in the office. And I have an Ouya in there, and a lot of other devices that failed for one reason or another, and it's not necessarily that they were terrible in any reason. I don't think Ouya was particularly terrible, but it was, when you go back and you look at these things, there's like, sometimes there's timing, sometimes there's like other factors in the industry, or they were just off by a couple degrees, and I feel Ouya was just a little off, um, and especially how they positioned it, and we think about that a lot, and a lot of that thought went into our system, and it's like, you know, we could have made an Ouya, right? right? But everyone could make an Ouya. It's like we decided to do a startup where we're doing something that people dream about. And, you know, it's just so f much further ahead than other things that it makes it defensible, makes it attractive to investors. And, like, those are the projects I love to work on. Like, why do something anybody can do? Let's try to, like, go for the gold and do something special. And, and uh Thanks to my amazing team, we've been able to pull it off very well. That's so cool. I'm so glad that we are on that, that track. Now, just before we wrap up, um, talking about failed consoles, because I'm just curious, yeah. because I'm excited. I always get excited about that, too. I'm, I have a feeling, then, do you have a hyperscan? I don't think I have a hyperscan. I have a lot of things, but I don't recall that one. I have a Virtual Boy. I have a Super A-can. I've got a CD32, I have an N-Gage. Uh, I, have, I have pretty much all those too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you're going to love our office. I, I can't even think of all the ones I have. And then uh, home computers, I have all these failed home computers too, like the Texas Instruments 99.4A and yeah, things like that. And it's, it's great. But it's, I also like in the office, I like to pair things up as well. So I'll have like... Here's something that was on the market that was a huge success, like Game Boy, right? The original Game Boy. And right next to it is the Atari Lynx. And this is a very valuable lesson. You look at Game Boy, black and white, you know, you know, not very powerful, not a powerful CPU. And then the Atari Lynx, it had color graphics. It had like this powerful CPU and accelerator and it didn't take off right? And there was just a, a few things wrong with it. Like it ate batteries too fast. You know, it didn't have Tetris, right? Exactly. And so like te when you look at specs, like, oh, the Game Boy sucks. But, <laughs> but I know that's the, the, that's why our boardroom is dedicated to Nintendo. Nintendo knows how to like, 
you know, kind of condense things down to pure fun. And we admire that. It's like, and when we do our product um, decisions too, it's like, hey, we could add this sensor and then we have to stop ourselves. Like, does it actually make it more fun or are we just geeking out over, over it? And it's like, we have those serious thoughts of like, you know, what is the user going to immediately recognize this extra money I put into it? So I think I have an extra hyperscan. So if I do and I come to the office, I'm going to give it to you. Oh, man. Okay, I'll trade you something I have doubles of, too. I'm sure I've got something you don't have either. I, I have an Action Max also. That's a new addition. Um, I just put put Stadia in there right next to... Yeah, I put Stadia in um, uh, on live, right next to on live. I totally forgot about I had that too. Wow. Because I had the controller thingy kit that you've got or whatever. There was like a kit they made, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I promise you someday streaming gaming, it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to get that. And it's funny enough that you say that because last night we were actually at a, uh, a uh, after party for a company called Orbit. I don't know if you know what that is, but they're they're trying to launch their own streaming platform as well. This is going to be it. Oops, this is, yeah, this is going to be it yeah, for sure. This is the one. This is the one. Sorry, Mike. I know that we were kind of going on a tangent there. Would you? I mean, I didn't mostly know what Ouya were talking about at all, but it sounded interesting and fun. I do. Know, I I like Game Boy. <laughs> I like Game Boy because of Tetris, right? <laughs> I can explain Ouya just for those curious. I think it was a very fascinating business case study. So. You know, it was a Kickstarter campaign. It was huge. I think they close to $10 million or something ludicrous. Uh, yeah. And their promise was, you know, this little tiny game console, and they oversold it, which is unfortunate, that had a mobile processor in it, was going to be the future of gaming, and it was going to replace your big, expensive game consoles. And their shtick was, and I thought this was really cool, is they were going to be free, playable demos of every game, which, man, that sounds great. But, you know, it was based on a mobile chipset from NVIDIA, and that doesn't really compare to the supercomputer you have in your PlayStation 3 or whatever was out at the time. And so, of course, they positioned it wrong in the market. They probably should have positioned it as like, hey, this is a fun little thing where the games, you're going to get to try them, and it, we're, in, we're in a different space than your PlayStation 3. <laughs> and they might have done better. Yeah, it's, uh, it, the Oya is very... It's such a weird thing because I was actually working for uh, a major game retailer at that time, and uh, we were pushing. I was our store was the only store that had over a hundred reserves for it because we believed in it for some reason, yeah, yeah. and I regret that so much now because we sold like most of them, and like people came back like getting upset like, yo, this sucks, <laughs> like for real. Uh, it was one of the craziest experience. I've never. I was I was in that brand for ten years, and that was to this day one of the most craziest experiences I've ever seen with the console that and do you remember GameStick? oh yeah yeah, yeah. so it was roughly around the same time and then yes. we had the same issue with game stick so, so I, i'm sorry i'm going to share i'm rambling but i'm going to share some stories and this is something i love about my collection and we hear this all the time right um how are you going to compete against facebook or insert big company here and uh when you go through our collection like Let's go to the Atari room. All right, this is a couple guys in their garage made Atari, right? You know, granted, Atari failed later when they sold to Time Warner, but they were the king of the hill. Right next to it is a game console from RCA, billion-dollar company. Right next to it, Magnavox, another billion-dollar equivalent company back then. And almost never in, you know, 
evolution of technology do the big companies come out and dominate. They can't figure it out. They're just too, and like Facebook, they're face planting so hard. Their metaverse stuff is just like so, I'm, if, I'm sorry if you like metaverse from face, Horizon Worlds. Like it's just another example of how big companies, you know, aren't going to lead the charge in some of these spaces. But then of course, you know, some people argue like, well, no, Apple, like, you, you know, but Apple was on the brink of like two weeks from bankruptcy before Steve Jobs came back. So they didn't like, exactly start from a position of having, you know, 70,000 people and a hundred million, uh, you know, dollars per quarter going into right. development. Always support the little man, right, Mike? That's right. Like us. Like us. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> us. Yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, before we wrap up, where can our audience go buy one right now? Yeah. Go to tilt5.com. Just spell it all out. Tilt like pinball tilts and then five f-i-v-e and then you can order it there and uh, get your system and you can also browse some of the games and you can just um, look at stuff that's in a, we have a what we call the labs which is highly experimental stuff i find that pretty interesting you find the wacky stuff that people are doing crazy stuff with our system and you know check back frequently we're just constantly putting new games up that's so awesome. Go check them out. Seriously, it's a great product. I'm so excited that we got to do a one-year check-in. And maybe we'll do a year three check-in. What do you think, Mike? Well, now you're talking crazy. <laughs> That's too much, I know. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much, and we'll be back up to this. All right. Uh, Uncle Dad here with Mike. Uncle Dad, say hello. Or, sorry, Mike, say hello. That's the second time you've done that. It's the second time I've done that. Let me bring this down a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's been a <laughs> it's been a long GDC, as I'm sure you guys could imagine. Uh, we are with the folks of Candy Bobber. Uh, they are doing an incredible production that I can't wait to talk about. Uh, so you know, I'll just let them introduce themselves. Then we'll go from there. So let's start from my right or left or this way. There we go. We'll start with you. Go ahead. Hi, I'm Kate DeGamel. I am the founder of Candy Bomber Productions, and I am the producer of this project, which has a live hip-hop dance show, a PC game that is in development, and a mobile app that's already in app stores. Awesome. I'm Ron Weaver. I was the producer on the mobile app Frey Jam and also helping to produce the PC game. Awesome. And you know what? Because you're here and you look great. <laughs> I'm Max Aker, I'm the studio head of GameSim, we're uh, long-time friends with Ron, we, we pissed in a little bit on the mobile app. Uh, awesome, awesome. So, first and foremost, let's talk about what is happening today as we're here. So we are at the Foundry in San Francisco, we are premiering the live hip-hop dance show portion of this project. Um, it, the whole Fray project is based on a story. Uh, it's a story about two brothers who are born into poverty and discover a very early video game that kind of lights up their imaginations and becomes a deeply shared passion. Um, and the story follows them all the way up through basically into kind of college age uh, where they uh, continue to be super passionate about games. Uh, they start getting involved in game jams in their high school years and um, ultimately win a contest and it's called Frey because it's about their relationship fraying over time as the older brother is pulled away by dark forces. And so it's really a story about the younger brother and his sort of journey to figure out how he can help his older brother who um, had been kind of his hero and so his wow. journey to find a different superpower uh, to help his brother and it's a hip-hop dance show so all of that is conveyed through dance um, music 
there's voiceover in the track and there's large screen video in the show. And we have seven amazing dancers here from LA tonight who have been rehearsing for a couple weeks. And um, yeah, the show's one hour and tells that whole story. And we got involved in video games because the story is about their um, passion for video games and the younger brothers believe that the video game is, is kind of a super powered private world that he can be in with his older brother. It's interesting how that medium can connect us, right? Kind of help us go through things. Um, so I'm curious, uh, when you when this concept was kind of coming together, how did you know, like, okay, we're going to go with a live show? Like, how, was it always the case, or was Yes, that... it was always the case. So I, I really have been a filmmaker and video designer for stage for many years, and I produced a uh, my first live dance show as producer in 2018, and it was a show called Fury, and it basically was known as the Mad Max Ballet. Wow. Uh, but the whole idea was to put ballet into a different context um, that would appeal to a broader audience, and that worked out pretty well. So this actually did start as another live dance show, but I really wanted to work with hip-hop. Um, the first show had been with ballet, and I'm definitely loving working with hip-hop. So yeah, we started with the concept for a live show, and then the whole gaming universe opened up in the process of developing the story. Wow. Um, so I'm a big hip-hop fan oh, myself, cool. and so like, what was it that pulled you into wanting to bring hip-hop into this world? Like, what Was there a certain artist? Or was there a certain song or genre of hip-hop? So the person that I kind of collaborated on the story idea with was a dancer that I had worked with a lot before. And he, um, he had danced the lead role in my first show, Fury. And I knew that he had a kind of an interesting story that, you know, so we started discussing all that and he mentioned video games. Um, and that's how, and I said, well, what's the deal with video games? But he also was very interested in reconnecting with his hip hop roots because he had grown up as a hip hop dancer in Hawaii. And so that was kind of how it became a hip hop show. But I had worked with a lot of hip hop dancers before and I was very interested in, in you know, hip hop it, it's just it's so varied it's so democratic uh it's so inclusive um and you know it it's really an art form a dance form that comes from the street about expression um personal expression and finding your artistic voice which is really kind of what the theme of this story is is finding your own voice um and it's just awesome. It's so great. And there's so many styles of hip hop. You'll see different styles in the show tonight if you're super familiar with it. Um, there's one one piece, for example, that's all locking. Um, then there's <laughs> so there's a lot of different influences in the show tonight, but it pretty much all stays in the hip hop category. I love that. That's awesome. Now, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but this is this year. It's the 50th anniversary of hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah. 50th year of hip-hop. Crazy, so isn't it? There's no better time to do this yeah. than right now. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the game. Um, can you explain to our audience what kind of game it is? Well, there are two game concepts to keep in mind, first off. So one game concept is uh, it's a transmedia game in the sense that it is a game that's meant to manifest the, the game jam that is in the show itself. And so I'm a fan of that, right? Anytime you take media and you cross it into other media, I always find that to be cool. So you can play the game before the show or after the show or whatever, but it's a, um, an embodiment of, of what happens in the show. And that's the, the, the little mobile game, Frey Jam. 
Separate from that, there's a PC game uh, that we've been working on with Hero Beat Studios. And that's more of a rhythm game, but also a dance game and a puzzle game because you can't move unless you're on rhythm. And the character's dancing the whole time. They're not just walking around, they're doing um, you know, hip hop choreography. And that's also what I've loved about this project because Kate has hired such talented choreographers and dancers. These are genuinely ridiculously good hip hop dancers. And so as you can imagine, there's, there isn't that much hip hop in video games and the hip hop that you see often isn't necessarily done by professional hip hop artists. Because uh, you, you can imagine not a lot of game development studios overlap with hip-hop communities, right? And so the, the fact that there is that absolute integration between those two things on this project has been fascinating to me uh, as, a, as a dancer myself. I'm, I'm, I'm big on dance being represented accurately and in a powerful way in games. I love that. I love that. I'm like, yeah, that's one of the things we talked about with uh, another person we interviewed at GDC is, is having certain cultures in the game, but not just having it to have it, having it represented by... By, by an actual person of this culture, mm -hmm. you know, that's where it's coming from. Mm -hmm. and, the, and so it's represented correctly in the mm -hmm. game, not appropriately. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. 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 Yeah, and, and, that, and that, I think that word is, is actually uh, often the, the situation where someone, you know, appropriates something that they feel will help them sell a game or yeah. a movie or what have you. And it's not as genuine. And it's not that they're necessarily trying to um, exploit that. It's just, it's not who they are and what they are and what they know. So it's not going to be as authentic as when you uh, allow those uh, experiences to be created and produced by people that are genuine practitioners and lovers of that art form. I love that. I mean, that's so true, right? I mean, with any with any like like game you play, you feel the love, right? Even if it's a shooter, like if you know somebody who is really into that, they play that and they create the most beautiful shooter out there, right? But yeah. you feel it when you play it, like totally. Yeah. Uh, what do you hope the audience gets from today's performance? So I hope they get pumped up and want to dance in the dance cipher afterwards. No. Nice. Uh, but aside from that, I, I really hope that this is a thought-provoking piece. I mean, certainly just enjoy the dance and the way it's interweaved with the, the video um, and the way we've kind of woven everything together I think is pretty creative. Um, and so, and then the dancing's amazing. Uh, so I hope someone just comes away and goes, wow, that was amazing. But also, I do think this is a thought-provoking story. I think this is a story about how to love someone who's battling inner demons yeah. and really coming to terms with what it is that, that we can do to help those people. And I think what plays out in the story is, in fact, what we can do when someone we love is struggling. So it's a real story. It's not just, you know, some story that we thought would sure. make a great dance show that we had a <clears throat> had a real desire to to talk about this it's important it's something that every single person who's been involved in this project from the game developers the musicians we've had a different musician on the game than we've had for the show all these dancers all these people that have been involved all these times I take a long time to share the story with them and kind of where it came from and absolutely every single person has had some connection to it. That's amazing. Yeah, so that's um, yeah, that's important, and that so I feel like we're we're actually trying to convey something that could help people create connections around this topic that's difficult and often doesn't get talked about. Having said that, the show is pretty pretty upbeat. It's uh, good. And they're certainly helpful at the end. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. a challenge, I'm sure, right? Because sometimes when you talk about such a uh, serious matter, it's hard to make it upbeat, right? It's hard to make it like a yeah, you know, we got this going on, but, you know, right. But hip-hop really fits that, too. I mean, you can cut this out if you don't want it. But hip-hop, hip-hop's about that. It's about, yeah, you know, it started as a 
an, uh, an expression of an, uh, an individual experience that can only be really conveyed through movement and the whole kind of idea behind it is what's the thing you do that right. no one else can do like where's your voice and and there's a lot of um, you know encouragement in the in the whole culture around it's cool if you find what you can do that no one else can do and so it's just very much an art form that comes from and is conveying what this story is about I love it. Uh, Mike, you know, you, you yourself, people in this room just so everybody knows, Mike is also a hip-hop artist. Awesome. You need to stick around afterwards and dance in the cypher. Oh. Well, I definitely wasn't a hip-hop dancer. That's okay. But I, I can, like, shuffle my shoulders around from side to side and, and, and groove a bit. Yeah. But you can, you can join the cypher and rap, right? Well, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that. We'll see how it feels. <laughs> okay, I got you. I got you. So before we wrap up, uh, first, first and foremost, what? Where can our audience learn more about this? Where they can they connect with you? And actually, I'm just curious: is this show going to go on the road? Maybe. Yes. In fact, we're going to be in London in wow. late July, and then we'll tour after that as well, both in the United States and in the UK. Wow. Um, and you can find out all about it. We have two websites. So there's www.candybomberproductions.com and then there's www.frayworld.com. And we'll keep, they, they have slightly different emphasis, but basically all the same information is on both of those websites. And then, you know, we're on social, social you can find us at Candy Bomber Kate. Awesome. Or um, doing, you know, Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff. I yeah. love it. And the game is currently out, correct? Yeah, Frey Jam. Yeah, and you just download it anywhere? Yep. Okay, on your mobile, on, on Android on, and on iOS. Awesome, awesome. So, I, you know, I, I gotta ask, does everybody, do you guys both listen to hip hop hip hop music? Yep. Yeah? What is your favorite hip hop artist? I'm just curious. So, I'm, I'm big into early 90s rap and hip hop, cool. all of that, that kind of stuff. Okay, would you pick an artist or no? Uh, anything new Jack Swing. Wow, yes. <laughs> that's crazy because mm -hmm. I'm a huge New Jack Swing fan. Yeah. I, I, you've never heard that, right, Mike? We do love New Jack Swing. Yeah, yes. we, that's that's amazing. Do you have a, a hip hop artist you love? Well, I would have to say that I'm trying to become super knowledgeable about Kendrick Lamar. Wow, <laughs> that's the truth, man. He's you the gotta truth. go to school on Kendrick. Yes. You can't just show up and like. But I, I yeah, I think he's super cool. And, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm just gonna ask you this. Gotta ask you anything. So, what's what's your favorite hip hop artist? I mean, I've been big into like this hip hop, like Doomtree and Dos. Um, big in Astronauts for a minute, and just wow. that kind of stuff. I was kind of like present with the nerdcore scene too for a little while, but it seems like it kind of been, yeah. you know, went down a little bit. But you know, guys like Mega Ram, Michael Kill, Latin Moron, stuff like that. So. Wow. You know what? I just gotta ask Mike since he's here. What's your favorite hip hop artist? Oh, I still listen to Master P. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no Limit Soldier Forever right here. That's right. <laughs> but thank you guys so much for taking the time. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm very excited to watch this. Uh, once we're done watching the experience, uh, we're going to do a little talk about it as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm just so excited about it. And just thank you guys for... You know, I think hip hop, you know, it's funny because we, we talked to, we talked to... We have talked to a few rappers in our show. And the idea is, like, with hip hop, it is... Even though it's 50 years this year, it's still so very young, mm -hmm. and there's still so much it can do. It's wild you can talk to the guy who invented the scratch still. R right. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Right, was it dude, or you can go talk to that guy. Like, yeah. Wow. And it's crazy. Do you have something out of it? Oh, I was just saying, not only is it young, but just, I feel like hip-hop in itself represents the youth. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously it still represents where it came from, and, and, and kind of like, it was the 
its own version of punk rock when it started, mm -hmm. you know. But it represents where the youth are at mm -hmm. in our culture mm -hmm. often, I feel mm -hmm. like. Well said, Mike. Well said. <laughs> You're smart. Uh, thank you again, guys. Uh, seriously, an absolute pleasure, and we cannot wait to watch the show. Everybody, go check it out. Uh, you're gonna love it. I know you are because everybody. We love hip hop here. Either right, Mike. That's right. All right. We'll see you guys later. All right. As always, all good things must come to an end, and we are done with GDC coverage. Yeah, GDC is. It's officially not technically over yet, but we got as much as we can in the time we have available. Um, Dude, what a time. Seriously, it was like one of the craziest events I think we've done so far this year. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I think it's been great. I mean, uh, you know, after doing a full day, two full days, uh, maybe this is your third full day. Um, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's not just running around and pointing a microphone and having fun. Even though some people may think that, right? Yeah, so that's why I'm saying this to those people. I who I'm going to name these people, but name them, name them. I'll name them on another episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you know, uh, two parts. Uh, in, in to be honest, that wasn't even the ex expectation. It was just something that kind of happened. What I think is so magical about this year's e GDC episode is that everything naturally grew, grow, grew. <clears throat> it wasn't like. Um, Everything was really intended, I think, to be like a five-minute, ten-minute conversation, and they just grew into these twenty to twenty to thirty-minute-plus conversations about something much more. And I think Mike, you pointed out, and I can't remember if it was on mic or not, but you had said that you know it almost kind of felt like the game was an afterthought, not in a bad way, right? But just you know, everything kind of dived deeper this time around. And I think that is, you know, very much the Uncle Dad theme always that it goes into much more than just what the main objective is. What do you think? Yeah, that's how, I think that's kind of what makes us us, right? Is that we talk about the thing that's that's going on, but the deeper meaning behind it or, or below it and the intentions and, you know, the, the process with the people who are creating. Because that's, I mean, sure, we can talk all day about the graphics and the gameplay, but, like, who who are you? Who's the person who created it? What's your story? Why would you create this? What's, this? what's the meaning behind the message of the story? And Or what's the weirdest thing that you did when you were not creating the game right right yeah that's very true um so let's uh kind of do a quick little uh check back a little look back if you will um what was your favorite now that we've got two days done what was your favorite interview we did i really enjoy the atari stuff uh i mean just because it was so fun to hear a kind of a behind the scenes on such a big company a company that we all respect and look up to as far as in this industry. Um, but I also really enjoyed the, the depth of some of the other interviews that we, that we got to go to. But I think the, the thing that keeps coming back to me is uh, Atari folks. Yeah, Atari was fun. It was a great start today off. Um, you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun. And when you, again, people with passion, man, they're just the best people to talk to. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Jerry again just because, you know, I, it's very rare that I get to meet somebody who knows as much about gaming as I do in that sense, right? Like the history and stuff. I mean, I'm sure, Mike, you must have been like, I don't want to say that I was flexing, but I was definitely feel like I can flex my... 
You flexed on me. That's fine. You had, it was in front of Jerry. It's cool. <laughs> but you know, it's like that's that's my wheelhouse. You know, gaming is my wheelhouse, and so being able to drop all this knowledge about games that I don't normally don't get to talk about. I'm sure you saw how excited I got. Like, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, she would say words I didn't even know existed, and you were like, it got excited and went into a whole tangent about it. And you know, it's fun to watch people who are passionate talk about what they love, even if I look like I'm glazing over. Uh, in the corner there. Um, I still enjoyed that you enjoyed. And that hopefully our listeners enjoyed it as well. Absolutely. And if you have an Ouya and you uh, and you still play it, send me a picture of you playing it. Actually, I don't even know if you can play it anymore. Just send me a picture of you holding it. Because I'm pretty sure they closed the servers down. Uh, so send a picture of you holding it and I want to post it. Uh, uh, send it to UncleDad at UncleDadTalks.com. Uh, so yeah, man, I think that's kind of about it. Unless there's anything else I'm forgetting. What do you think, Mike? Um... We did. Um, we did get to see another friend. Uh, we saw AJ Kirsch uh, on day one, and uh, we hope to get him on mic. But he's a busy man, and so are we. We also got to run into our good friend uh, Skinner uh, here at the at the uh, at the GDC today. So we got to see a couple of our uh, very close to us in our in our realm of of guests that's been on the show. Uh, here so that was fun yeah you know it's that term i like to use the they're the uncle dad alumni you know when you come on the show you become an uncle dad alumni i'm gonna find a way to make that a thing like i was thinking it'd be kind of cool we'll talk about it on mic it'd be kind of cool if we could make like a pin or something just as a thank you gift like and you hand it over i'll add it to the list of things to do thank you (laughs) i don't know i just think that'd be kind of nice like hey i mean it's a great idea so um I'll add it to the list of things to do. And you know, with a smile on my face. <laughs> so he says, quotation marks. Uh, and of course, uh, one last thing, Mike, I can't forget about uh, is, man, I love your shirt. That's right. You're wearing some Roosevelt today, aren't you? Oh, yes, I wore it today. And I got some compliments on it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, and the best part is anybody who listens and anybody who meets us, I'm gonna t- I've been telling everybody, like, hey, all you got to do is go to roosevelts.com, R-S-V-L-T-S.com, and get 20% off your purchase by using Uncle Dad. And again, they just released these super, super cool 90s animated X-Men uh, shirts. So cool, man. I mean, that's, I think we talked about it so many times already, but it's one of the best cartoon series of all time. Uh, there may be a, uh, I don't know how true this is, Mike, but there may be an animated you know who series coming? I'm just saying. You know who? Uh, is man in the series title? Man, maybe in the series title. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm. I just felt some tingle. <laughs> That'll be the one that you buy without a code. I will give full price for that one. Not even my own code that are from our show. I'll just buy it outright. Full price. I love it. Uh, and last thing I want to mention that you didn't. We didn't talk about. Uh, you made an action figure out of yourself. <laughs> I did, and I paid for one to get made and sent to me. Yes. Uh, so we'll, we'll. I'll post a video of my uh, of my action figure in action, and then uh, once it's once it's uh, made and I have it, we'll bring it to the conventions and we'll we'll show you guys what it looks like. Yeah, it's uh, it's from Action Face on. Just really quickly, guys, if you go to Action Face, look it up. Two words on App Store. Just download it, you scan your face, and literally you can make an avatar for free. But if you want to get that 3D printed, and they actually come out pretty solid. I mean, I don't know what you think, Mike, but they came out pretty solid. Yeah, the prototypes we saw that were here looks great. I mean, again, we'll see how mine looks. I mean, I know my face is a little hard to look solid, but uh, 
Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. You know, and, the, and, you know, obviously these guys didn't pay us or anything to talk about it. We just think it's really cool. Uh, and so I did it, and I'm going to be a Sacramento Kings NBA All-Star. <laughs> you're, you're always an All-Star to me, let me tell you. <laughs> all right, buddy. Uh, that's all we got this week. Uh, we will see you next week. Uh, thank you for listening. This has been a two-parter. Uh, seriously, I can't say thank you enough. And, of course, one thing before is... Don't forget about our other sponsor, Clandestine Brewing. If you're in San Jose, go check them out. Uh, if you need to find out where they are, just Google search it. You'll find Clandestine Brewing. comes up right away. The best brewery in San Jose uh, by far and have some of the best beer around. All right, everybody. We'll see you all next week. And remember, we're not uncles. We're not dads. We're just someone you can talk to.